I was not always the the best example of, of being a good person. And, uh, you know, I got kicked out of college twice. I uh, got in trouble uh, quite a bit when I was when I was in high school and, and whatnot. And, um, but everything that happened to me always, always led me to something that I needed to do or, or needed to be or someone that I needed to meet. You know, I, I got kicked out of college. And because I got kicked out of college, I found training. And because I found training, I found CrossFit. I also found, because from getting kicked out of college, I found my fiance. Like, we've been together for almost 10 years now. And uh, had, had I not gotten kicked out of school, we never would have met. And so, like, in my life, looking back at some of the, the worst things that have ever happened to me, they may have been bad at the time. But for me, looking at them as something that led me to something better, led me down the path I was supposed to be on, um, it allowed me, when I, when I had this injury, to kind of look at it and be like, okay, this is probably going to be the worst thing that ever happens to me. So it's going to generate the I, I can use this to generate the best outcome possible. This is Kevin Ogar, owner and head coach of CrossFit Watchtower, co-founder and vice president of the Reveille Project, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week I have uh, Kevin Ogar, who is the owner and head coach of CrossFit Watchtower. He's also a Level 3 certified CrossFit trainer and is a a member of the CrossFit Level 1 seminar staff. Uh, He's also a four-time CrossFit regional competitor, which is a extremely impressive feat uh, knowing the caliber of athletes that it takes to make it to regionals um, he finished as high as six in 2012 um, kevin also serves as vice president of the Reveille project uh, which aims to ease veterans transitions to civilian life by instilling holistic lifestyles into their routines post active duty so i'm interested to see how that might translate into um, the athlete the athlete's transition to life after sports as well and Kevin also suffered a spinal cord injury in a CrossFit competition back in 2014, uh, which is where we're going to start off today's interview. Um, so, Kev, thanks for coming on the, the podcast. And can you just take us through kind of the moments that were led up to your injury and describe kind of what happened? Yeah, Kevin, thanks thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, this is uh, 2014, January 2014. I was um, in a, uh, a competition that in, – in uh, Orange County. So it technically wasn't a CrossFit competition. It was just a fitness competition out there, uh, that literally CrossFit had nothing to do with. And I was doing a, a hang snatch, a three rep max hang snatch. Um, I was warming up in the back. Uh, snatching was kind of my jam. Um, probably at that point in time, probably one of the bigger snatchers within, uh, the fitness or CrossFit world type stuff. I think you said you were lifting like close to 300 pounds, right? Yeah, I was right around 300 pounds, maybe a little under, maybe a little over on some days, but right around there, yeah. Which is insane for the listeners out there who don't know what a snatch is. Uh, basically, it you have a barbell and you're taking the weight from the ground with like a wider grip and you kind of catch it over your head. Uh, so just I'll, I'll put a video in the show notes so, so people can, uh, can see what a snatch is. Yeah, and um, I'd actually warmed up. Uh, it was a three rep max hang snatch. So from above knee to overhead three times without setting the bar down. And I had warmed up in the back and actually hit 245, uh, 245 pounds out back there. Um, as my warm up, cause my plan was to open with like 245, 255, somewhere in there. Um, when I was walking out, my coach, uh, at the time was like, Hey, no one's hit over, I think 220 or 225. So be conservative with what you're going to open with. And then just kind of see if you can let your opener be the winner. And so I actually dropped how much I was going to start with down to 235, um, which was a super easy weight for me. Um, the platform was kind of messed up out there as far as like slant to it. They had stuff stacked behind us. That I really wasn't paying attention to at the time because you only like they literally walked you out three, two, one, go. You had to race over to your your lifting platform, excuse me, and go. Like that's all that's all the time you had. So I um, threw two thirty five on the bar, picked it up for my first attempt, hit my first attempt, and went to go stand up for it. And you can kind of see that I kind of lose my balance a little bit from that slant. You know, two hundred thirty five pounds overhead and a, a, like a slant backwards makes it a little hard to stand up um oddly enough in my mind i remember thinking well just bail it's 235 don't hurt yourself trying to stand up with 235 and so i bailed backwards try to jump out of the way 
um, again, because of the platform and the slant and whatnot, I couldn't quite get 100% out of the way, so it hits my left shoulder on the way down, ricochets off of me and pushes me to the ground, and then when the bar hits, the plate sitting behind me um, shoots like a, like a rocket uh, right back at me and um, hits me right in the back, um, severing my spine between T11 and T12. Yeah, and that's like a super freak thing, right? Like kind of extenuating one, circumstances. One, one in a million, man. Like it had to hit the – it had to hit me in the right position to knock me down. It had to hit the plates at the right angle to ricochet back enough to hit me. Um, you know, my doctors were telling me that like a fourth of an inch or something like that, um, in any other direction, I either would have been instantly dead or I would have stood up from it and been perfectly fine. Yeah. That was one of the things that I never really got the answer to in the, in the previous interviews that you've done is like, why, like what about that spot would have like instantly killed you? It had it been a quarter inch one way or the other. Um, I think any more. I think it hit me in the perfect spot just to sever my spine. Like it just tore my spinal column in half. I think any more damage would have caused my caused me to go instantly into shock and killed me. So I don't really know what shock is. I guess I've heard people say it before, but well, it... uh, it's basically it's basically your body freaking out. Like your body thinks that something like you're basically something's trying to kill you, and so it's trying to shut things down in order to keep you alive. But a lot of instances, is, and like if the trauma is so bad, it'll end up killing you. Okay, interesting. Um, so, what were you, like your initial thought, uh, like thoughts, feelings, and emotions like from the the second that you realized something was wrong? Um, you know, I knew something was wrong, but the only thing I like, only thing I remember vividly is just pain. It felt like someone had like doused me in gasoline and set my entire body on fire, and that's that's literally all I can remember. I remember someone trying to take my shoes off and getting yelled at. I remember. I remember it feeling like it took forever for um, the medical team to get there. I know it took like I think 15 or 20 minutes for an ambulance to get to me. Um, but all I really remember is like every inch of my body felt like it was on fire. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it was a, a fun <laughs> a fun description. No. Um, nope, it was not. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that I passed out and or like was unconscious after it happened. And I, I remember pretty much almost every bump from the time I got um, – paralyzed to the time I got to the hospital like I, I was never unconscious throughout the entire thing every bump you mean like on the ride there like oh yeah every time they would hit a bump or turn or something would move me like extreme pain just like nerves firing like crazy yep that's yeah that's 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 tough so what was the prognosis like when you got to the hospital uh so when I got to the hospital, they wanted to get put me in a. Uh, they wanted to give me a scan or an MRI or a CAT scan or whatever they ended up doing, um, and they're like, "We need to put you in this tube." And I was like, "You got to put me under." I'm pretty claustrophobic, and I'm not a small person. Right. So like with with MRI tubes and CAT scan tubes, like I don't fit very well, and so uh, they ended up having to put me under um, to, fee- to see what was wrong because they couldn't give me any painkillers because they didn't know exactly what happened. Uh, so painkillers could have made it worse and or killed me. And so I was without painkillers outside of maybe like aspirin until after they put me under. Um, and that was a nice little argument after that, they came back and said that I was definitely, I was paralyzed, um, from the waist down, uh, had a spinal severing from T11 to T12 and that they had to get me into surgery as quickly as possible. So who, like, who was the person that gave you that news? And like, was it just like that matter of fact, like that's like just what they said or? Uh, it was the, the doctor that ended up doing the, ended up doing the surgery. So he walks in and he goes, Hey, you know, I hate to tell you this, but, and I didn't even let him finish. I'm like, I know I'm paralyzed. Like I get it. Like what, what's next? Um, and you know, I was, you know, bawling my eyes out, lost total control by, I already knew like you, you can't feel your legs. You're not moving. Like the severity of the injury being so bad in the way they're acting. Like I knew I was paralyzed. So. I just kind of wanted to know what was going on next. And he's like, we got to, we got to get you into surgery as soon as we can. Um, I think it was like 10 hours, like nine to 10 hours after my injury. Um, I went into surgery for my first surgery. Um, and right before that one, the doctor came in, same doctor and was like, Hey, you need to say, if you have anyone you want to call, if you have anyone that is not here right now that you want to say goodbye to, you probably should do that. Um, he's like, you have about, somewhere between 15 to 18% chance of surviving this first surgery. And that, that was another question that I kind of thought of when I was listening to your previous interviews is like, why was that? Like what, what, what made this particular surgery so risky um, just to perform the surgery itself? So uh, the first surgery I had is called a thoracotomy. Um, so they, 
um, to realign the spine without having to worry about exacerbating it and or killing me. Um, cause any, any more trauma to the spine would have killed me. Um, and so what they had actually ended up doing, they had to go in from the side of my body. So they had to, uh, cut me open between my ribs on my left side, uh, basically dislocate a few of my ribs so they could get in there, um, deflate my lung, uh, pull out a bunch of my organs and go in over the top of my spine so they could realign it slowly and get it into the right position without killing me. Now, the problem with that is that there's, there's, it's such a giant body cavity and they have so many of my, like so much of me actually like pulled out of my body is that most people die from, uh, um, lack of oxygen or blood loss. Uh, so like you're just, you're literally just like, I guess, I mean, I wasn't in the, I guess I was in the surgery, but I wasn't conscious obviously. So I guess you're just like dumping blood out of your system. Um, and the only thing that kept me alive was that I was um, in such good shape and my body was so efficient with, well, I had, had such a high red blood cell count and my body was so efficient at processing oxygen that that's literally the only thing that kept me from dying. That's crazy. And like, why did they say that you would have died if you didn't have the surgery just because you my would body have... would, yeah, my body would have eventually gone into shock. It would have, um, it would have just kept getting worse and worse and my body would have just basically shut down. Gotcha. So it's a shock that, that like could kill you in those kind of situations. Yeah. Cause any kind of moving around could cause more damage to the spine, more damage to the spine causes the body to freak out a little bit more and then, then you're kaput. Gotcha. So in some of your previous interviews, you talk a lot about. Uh, like small percentages, but how you like small percentages. So can you t- kind of talk about the percentages and, you know, kind of how lucky you were on on that day? Yeah. So, I mean, 15 to 18% chance of surviving in the first surgery. So if you flip that around, you have what, like an 80, like 82 to 85% chance of, sur- or, of dying from the first surgery. Past that, I think it was like a 20, 25 to 35% chance of, of dying or, for, or surviving the complications of that surgery. Then I had to have a second surgery, put my hardware in, and that was like a, I think, 40, 40 to 50% chance of surviving that surgery. Um, and, you know, uh, the doctor that was there that did my surgery happened to, I don't, like, what I was told, again, I was on a lot of drugs, is that he wasn't supposed to be there. He wasn't on call. He wasn't the doctor of the night. He just happened to be there, and he happened to be the second best spinal surgeon um, in the United States. Um, and so I lucked out in getting him. Because I think anyone else doing that surgery and I'm dead. Right. Um, having the, the the event was close enough to the to the hospital I could get to. Um, you know, I happened to be uh, friends with someone who grew up next to the vice president of Craig Hospital where I did my rehab, which is incredibly hard to get into. I think I was one of the first um, people admitted from California in like a decade or so. Oh, wow. Um, so... It was um, it was a lot of small, ch- lot, a lot of small percentage chances that I was actually going to survive, and not only survive, but then actually um, get back to doing anything out pa- uh, uh, past the injury. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like how crazy, you know, the whole things kind of fell into place for you a little bit, and like things like kind of like a fate type thing, uh, mm-hmm. but. The, the whole name behind my podcast is heads and tails like a coin toss because I was given a 50% chance of surviving through the night, which was really nothing compared to some of the odds that you were up against. Um, but does this ever like freak you out to like think about how lucky y- you were in in those situations? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think uh, for me, I, I knew once I woke up that there was a, a greater purpose or a greater plan for me. And so I knew that me surviving that, that small percentage chance of me surviving, um, meant something It meant that I was, uh, meant to do something else with my life. And I was given this chance, um, to go out there and, and help other people. Cool. And I'm trying to follow a similar path there. Yeah. Um, what, what was it? You said in the barbell shrugged, uh, episode and I'll, I'll, I'm going to post the video from that uh, episode in the show notes for this one. Um, but you talked about the odds of being a blue eyed ginger. What, what was that? So uh, gingers make up 3% of the world's population. So red hair, pale skin, freckles, we make up 3% of the world's population. Of that 3% population, there's only 1% of all gingers that have blue eyes. Wow. So the major- majority of gingers, so that other um, 99% of gingers, are generally either have like uh, green eyes or brown eyes. Interesting. I wonder, do you know why? Or um, No, I'm going to guess it has something to do with um, – the exact heritage required to have red hair and blue eyes. So it's not, it's not, um, it's not very common. Okay. 
when you went to Craig Hospital and one of our one of my previous guests uh um was on that was on the show, he also went to uh Kevin Pierce, he's a snowboarder. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, he went to Craig also. So, what was the rehab process like when when you got there? Um they they start you right away, man. They kind of just I think they give you a full day to give you purpose, to give you a reason to get out of bed, to give you, you know, a, a way of, of like fighting back against the injury. So bit, pretty much from day one, like I was given a wheelchair and told that like, Hey, we're going to push this, which was cool with me. Cause that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and so like pretty much busy from, from morning till night, every single day I was in there it was uh, six, I was there for six weeks. Um, and went over everything from like how to, how to sit up, how to sit up on my own, how to tie my shoe, how to go to the bathroom, you know, how to get in the car, how to get up off the floor. If I fall, like they literally prepare you for most situations you're going to, uh, run into once you get out of the hospital. They do a very good job of that. Do you think they pushed you because you were like, were an athlete, you know, and they knew that you probably enjoyed pushing yourself and, and that kind of thing, or they believed you could do it? Um, I think I pushed them a little bit. Okay. Um, I was not one. I'd never been one to kind of like sit to be okay with failure or be okay with like not being able to do something. So like I really um, like when they're like, hey, it's okay. We can try this again tomorrow. I'm like, no, you need to like we're going to work. I'm going to get this today and we're going to sit here until I figure it out. (laughs) Um, So I think I think I gave them a little bit of a different perspective on, on how to do that kind of stuff. You know, and they have a a class it's called a fit class where you go in and it's working out. It's really what it is. And they get people back into fitness really quickly, which I love uh, about Craig, but they used all these machines. Like they had like lat pull down machine and like a rickshaw machine and all these machines. Very anti CrossFit. Yeah. And so I was looking at it and I'm like, that's not going to do anything for me. If I fall out of my chair, that's not going to do anything for me. If I need to learn how to move, like I'm not learning how to move myself or move objects that aren't fixed. And so I was like, I noticed they had like a, a set of parallel bars and some dumbbells off to the side. And I was like, hey, why can't I use those? And they're like, oh, no, we don't, we don't, we don't use those. I'm like, well, I want to use those. And the, and the guy, the, the guy who was running at the time, I think he thought he was being like, like smart about it. He's like, okay, when you can put the stack all the way down on all these machines and do them for a few reps, I'll let you use the dumbbells. And so within like the first week, I think I just threw all the pins down and cranked out a few reps. And I was like, all right, can I use the dumbbells now? <laughs> brush the dust off of them <laughs> yeah well cool so i think i think they they realize that they can actually um uh push a lot of these patients past past just surviving and into like a mode of thriving with this injury i like that uh do you think that by you having that approach in there like did you inspire other you know maybe injured athletes that were in there just because of how like your approach to to the recovery oh man i don't know i think um i don't know if my approach to like pushing myself really inspired anyone. I know, uh, me and someone I did uh, rehab with a guy named chase, um, who is still a good friend of mine today. Like we still, we still talk. Um, like we were always joking and laughing and like making light of the situation. And I think that if I had to say something, help someone else, I think that probably helped more people than me actually being like, yeah, give me the dumbbells. I think, the sense of humor around it and the fact that we would joke and laugh and try to get other people to smile through the injury. I think that helped more than, more than anything else. And, and you've, have you always been like that? Like a jokester type guy or? Yeah. I never take really too much seriously, man. I, I, I think, I think a sense of humor is, is vital in surviving things and vital in like enjoying life, man. So yeah, I've always been joking around class clown kind of guy. So yeah. Must be a Kevin thing. I think I'm a, a similar way. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here right now in my uh, button down because I just I'm doing this on my lunch break from work. But the corporate world is not uh, is not conducive for like what's going on inside my head. So no, that's that's why I, uh, that's why I own my own my own business, man. I'm pretty sure I would have a problem with any HR department um, <laughs> if I if I ended up getting like having to get a real job. That's funny. Do, was there like any joke in particular that sticks out that like you remember made light of a certain situation? Oh yeah, so um, th- this was uh, I think, I think like an hour or two before or after my first surgery. The timing on that's a little off because I don't really remember exactly when this fell into place, but I remember saying it. Um, my uh, fiance 
and then my friend Tyler and a couple other people were in the room with me, like, and everyone's super depressed and sad. Like, we just found out I was paralyzed. I'm probably going to die, like, all these kind of things. And, um, you know, I'm laying in bed, and I, I look over at um, Jess and, and Tyler, and I was like, hey, so I guess if I survive this and open a CrossFit gym, I, do you think they let me use their name Brokeback CrossFit? <laughs> And then, and then apparently I just rolled back over and went to sleep and, and no one found it funny, but me, like I woke up later and remembered that and thought it was the most hilarious thing in the world. And they, they were like, that's, that wasn't funny. <laughs> Do they laugh about it now at least? Yeah, they laugh about it now. All right. I think that's a pretty good joke. Yeah, I um, thought it was good. So what was like the toughest for you to cope mentally during this time when you're trying to learn how to relearn how to do everything? Um, toughest thing for me to cope with in Craig was actually realizing like how, how much I had lost. Like when they, when they, I think one of my toughest memories from inside of Craig is when they actually do, it's called an Asia testing. So they actually take stock of, of where you're paralyzed and what's not working basically. Okay. And, and I think having them go, th- I think that was the first time I actually broke down once I got out of surgery and knew I was going to survive. Like, I think I, I mean, I really, I really kind of lost it then because, you know, they're going through your body and, and poking you with pins and brushing you with like uh, q-tips to see what and how you feel and you know when, when they get down to the, paral- the, the where i was actually paralyzed and they and I start taking stock and they're asking me to move these muscles that i used to have so much control over and i used to be, be able to do so many things with and they're, they're like move your leg flex your flex your glute like try to pick your leg up try to flex your foot and you're just like literally taking stock of every inch of your body that you lost and that was that was devastating it was yeah it was definitely probably one of the hardest things i dealt with while while i was in craig hospital yeah i mean i can imagine especially when you have that crossfit background and like everything's so focused on like moving well and you work so hard to you know Mm -hmm. move at an elite level to be you know a crossfit regional competitor you know four times it's insane um so how have you since kind of changed your mindset around what you've lost, I guess, since, since the injury? Um, you know what I've, I've, I always say about it is that like, I may have lost like the use of the lower half of my body, the use of my legs, but within that injury, it's allowed me to help so many more people than I would have been able, that I would not have been able to reach, um, with the use of my legs that, that I think it, I think it's kind of a fair trade off. Like it's, uh, like me being in a chair, if, if me being in a chair is what's necessary for the uh, cro- adaptive CrossFit movement to grow, for for the Revly project to grow, for me to be able to reach all these people and actually help them within their lives and make them like whole people again. Then, then I'm I um, that's not something I'm I'm really upset about. Like I'm cool with losing that. That's that's a pretty mature response. And I interviewed this one guy, David Vibora, and it was one of my favorite interviews that I've done. And he he said this. Uh, one thing of like pain for a purpose type thing. So like mm-hmm. you're preventing the suffering of others by like kind of using your own pain. Uh, yeah. So that kind of falls right in line there. Do you have like any specific example that sticks out in your mind of something that you've been like, you know what, like, you know, everything happens for a reason by helping someone or. Yeah. So I, I mean, I run, the, I run the Reveille project. Um, Can you explain what that it- is? So the Revely Project is uh, is uh, my my nonprofit that I founded with my friend Ryan Foster. Uh, Ryan is a an, uh, is a two tour Marine. Um, both times when he was overseas, his uh, uh, his vehicle got hit with an IED, um, and he has um, pretty severe. Like he's a Marine, so he says a minor TBI, but it's a pretty severe TBI. But that's just Marines for you. Um, and has a lot of neck issues. And when, when he got out of the military, um, he had a lot of problems you know like drinking and, and getting in trouble and all this other kind of stuff and he kind of used crossfit nutrition to turn his life around and he came to me and said hey we need to get this out to other veterans that need help and so when we first started the project i wanted to include everyone but my background is more in mood disorders than anything else and so i didn't i didn't think i was capable of taking on the challenge of working with um like physically disabled veterans like i was it really scared me to work with them because i didn't know anything about it and so I, I remember a conversation with um, with uh, uh, Z from Barbells from Boobs, Barbells for Boobs, where I was like telling her this and like kind of like telling her my fears around it. And um, literally, maybe weeks later, I was I was paralyzed 
Um, and so I went from someone who didn't really understand the plight of these disabled veterans and, and being scared to work with them to being uh, disabled myself and having like firsthand understanding of what it feels like to lose the use of your legs or, or go through something like this. And so um, through me being paralyzed, we were able to add in and comfortably add in working with disabled veterans, um, physically disabled veterans. And so now instead of just having an organization that treats mood disorders, we have an organization that, that will literally be able to help every veteran possible. And I think the loss of my legs is what allowed us to do that. And um, or lost the use of my legs was what allowed us to do that. And so I, um, that's one of the main examples of how like I'm okay with the loss of the use of my legs because it's allowed me to help so many more people outside of it. That's crazy, like the timing of everything, that of how it, oh, yeah. how it played out. Um, do, you th- do you have advice for athletes who are transitioning based off of like what you've learned uh, by working with the Reveille Project and your own experience with that transition to life after sports, like whether they had to stop because of an injury or just because mm-hmm. like it's the end of their career, just based off of like the things that seem to help these veterans transition? You know, what I found is that um, whether it be veteran or high-level athletes, um, they come from a background of purpose. They have a purpose. They know their purpose. They, they carry out their purpose, whether that be defending the country or – winning winning in their sport they have a, a defined purpose they're also in a in a uh, situation of structure so the military is very structured if you're playing high level sports your life is very structured and you have this te- this team of people that that um understand each other it's a, it's it's a brotherhood it's it's a community and i think for a lot of athletes as well as veteran veterans when they get out of the military they stop playing their sport they lose that they lose their sense of purpose they lose that um, structure they lose that community and so that's the main reason we've been utilizing crossfit with these veterans is because they have that structure to class they have that structure to schedule they have someone telling them telling them how and where to move and they're surrounded by these other type a individuals where they can compete against each other and and they have a purpose again, like their fitness, their life, their well-being has now become their purpose. And what, I, what we've seen and what we've found is that um, giving that purpose back to them, not just taking an approach of like, hey, we need to get you fit, but hey, we need to get you involved in a community of people that cares about you. Like that, that is the most powerful thing. Like I, I've said it before and I, I will say it probably to the day I die that the, the CrossFit community has shown me to be the most powerful community you can be a part of. It is insane the amount of people that, that just – not even the fitness side of CrossFit, just the community side of CrossFit, how much that has saved people's lives. Yeah, I know they're a big help for you after your injury. And you know what helped me through my transition to life after sports, it took me five years to find CrossFit. But once I did, that was like huge for me in trying to find like a new outlet, You know exactly like we were saying. Like you have that purpose of fitness and that community around you and the accountability and – you know, the structure of the classes and constantly setting goals to try to get better at. So I'm a huge proponent for athletes who are transitioning in that area to try out, give CrossFit a try. Yeah, absolutely. You said your background was in mood disorder. So what was your background that gave you that? Um, so actually when I was going to, I mean, I went to college for a really long time um, because I was not good at it. Um, <laughs> not good at like not good at the structure of school. So I, um, uh, I was not very good at making it to class. But I actually was going to school for psychology. Oh, okay. Um, and, and for more or less behavioral psychology. And what really interested me while I was studying that was actual like the, um, the exchange of like hormones and the interplay of like uh, abnormal psychology. Okay. With hormones, and so that's kind of where I, uh, dove into the most while in school. All right. Yeah, I was just curious. Um. You know, were there any setbacks that you had, you know, before your injury that you kind of learned from and kind of use that through your your recovery after your injury? Yeah, you know, my, my um, I was not always the 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 best example of of being a good person, <clears throat> and I and I, you know, I got kicked out of college twice. I uh, got in trouble uh, quite a bit when I was when I was in high school and, and whatnot, and um, but everything that happened to me always, always led me to something that I needed to do or, or needed to be or someone that I needed to meet. You know, I, I get kicked out of college and, um, because I got kicked out of college, I found training and because I found training, I found CrossFit. 
I also found, because from getting kicked out of college, I found my fiance. Like, we've been together for almost 10 years now. And um, had I not getting kicked out, had, had I not gotten kicked out of school, we never would have met. And so, like, in my life, looking back at some of the, the worst things that have ever happened to me, they may have been bad at the time. But for me, looking at them as something that led me to something better, led me down the path I was supposed to be on, um, it allowed me when I, when I had this injury to kind of look at it and be like, okay, this is probably going to be the worst thing that ever happens to me. So it's going to generate the I, – I can use this to generate the best outcome possible. And, and, and this is probably where I need to be or something I need to do in order to be who I'm supposed to be. Right. Um, Why did you get kicked out of school or do you not want to talk about that? Oh no! I I I, uh, <laughs> I drank a ton in in college. Okay. Um, and I would drink and then miss class because I was so hungover, and so uh, my GPA dropped below uh, the level required of me to stay in the school. Gotcha. And so they they kicked me out for grades, and then I built my way back up to the point where they could let me back in, and then did the same stupid shit and same thing over again. So why do you think that you? turn to alcohol or just because like it was fun or you know i don't i don't know like it was just you know college first time being free and away from home and not really like being on my own i think i just uh i think i just took it too far and i think i uh, i didn't know when and where to stop that kind of behavior right um and actually it took uh it took meeting jess my fiance and it took me getting into crossfit for me to stop drinking like that yeah, it's just crazy to me because, like, it's so polar opposite to, like, now and, like, CrossFit and prioritizing fitness. So I was just curious. Yeah, no, it was just um, I was playing rugby at the time and drinking's a part of that culture. And I think I just let that um, kind of consume me. And I, I didn't, uh, you know, at that point in time, I probably wasn't super happy with who I was and what I was doing and, and where I was at. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have that. I didn't feel like I had that high level of competition anymore that I had throughout my entire life. I'm a lifelong athlete. And, um, you know, so I think I kind of got lost in, in drinking instead of anything else. And so it took, um, I, I remember, I remember the only reason I could, the only way I could get Jess to go out with me is if I stopped drinking so much. Oh, really? She's it was like, like I don't, an ultimatum from the beginning. <laughs> she, she's like, I, I, she's like, I really like you, but I don't like being around you when you're drinking so much. And so like that for me, I was like, all right, well then I'm just not going to drink when I'm around you. I'm going to drink less when I'm around you. And then I found CrossFit and I'm like, okay, well, Jess wants me to drink less. And I suck at the workouts I'm trying to perform when I'm hungover. And so I just kind of started slowly but surely cutting out, um, cutting out as, uh, most of the alcohol that I was, I was drinking. And it, it completely flipped and turned my life around. You channeled your energy in other, other directions. Absolutely. Uh, so you said you were a lifelong athlete. So what sports did you play growing up? All of them. Um, I started. <clears throat> I started playing basketball in like fourth or fifth grade, um, and that was my main sport. That's what I wanted to do. I, I um, played all the way through high school. Um, I would, when I would get home from school, the first thing I would do is take start go outside and take uh, and start shooting to get better at shooting because I wasn't very good at it. I would dribble a tennis ball around. I carried a basketball around with me pretty much everywhere I went. Um, but then I also ran track. I played football. I um, I was a swimmer from like, I think the age of like five or six up until I was 18. Um, you know, I, I played baseball. I was horrible at it, but I played baseball for a little while. <laughs> it's not an easy sport. Uh, no soccer, like everything. My, I think my parents just knew that that's, that's what, that's what kept me sane and kept me moving and, um, calmed me down. And it's just to get me in sports. And so I was a year round athlete. There was never a point in time from the age of like five until I was graduating high school that I wasn't playing some form of sports. Did you ever get hurt playing sports before? You, uh, you know, broken ankle here, uh, sprained ankle there. Um, you know, put a crack in my arm playing football, but never nothing really, nothing really anything serious. Like my my surgery on my spine was the first surgery I'd ever had in my entire life. Okay, I was just curious if you had like any other serious injuries that kept you out of the game for a while or something that. Nah, I was, I was pretty hard-headed, so even if I did have an injury, I probably wouldn't say anything about it, and I'd probably just play through it. Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely that kind of guy, but that's kind of what led to my injury because I, <laughs> I had a concussion, and then before that one healed, because I didn't tell anyone that my head was hurting me, so yep. before that one healed, I, just, I played another game. I got hit in the head a couple more times, and then like I almost died because I had a brain bleed, and my brain was swollen. It was 
So yeah, pe- people who are hard headed need to listen to this. So <laughs> they don't play. Yeah, they don't play with injuries. Absolutely. So w- when did you find rugby? Did you start playing rugby in college? Yeah, I, I found rugby in college actually through lifting. Um, so I, I ended up working and working out with a guy and becoming training partners with a guy named Kanan Craig, um, who showed me power, like kind of like showed me how to further my powerlifting. To do was ridiculously strong and um you know i would lift with him and lift with him and then one day he's like dude like you're strong and you're good at sports like you should really try rugby and in my mind being, being like never really played before i was like <clears throat> that shit looks crazy i'm like that's that's too rough for me he finally convinced me to come out and watch a game uh, and I, I was just i just fell in love with it so that next semester um in college i went i went out and found the mizzou rugby team um, and, and kind of just walked into one of their practices and said, Hey, I want to, I want to, I want to try this out. And does, did you naturally just kind of pick it up and doing it, you know, did you figure it oh, out pretty I was, quick. I think I did. Um, I mean, I was just a big angry guy that was good at hitting people. So I think they, uh, I think that they just kind of tossed me out there. You know, I, I was strong, I was athletic and, um, um, so I think I picked it up pretty quickly. I played um, with them for years, and then when I moved out to Colorado, I, uh, I played for the Glendale Raptors for a couple of years as well. And um, so yeah, I mean, I think I picked it up pretty quickly. I don't think I was amazing by any means, but I, I think I was pretty mediocre. All right. Do you think that uh, American football can learn anything from uh, rugby in terms of like making the game safer? Yep, I think they didn't learn how to hit. So you think so, that the the rugby tackle is is missing? Safer. Okay, missing in in football so right now. So we're we're taught in rugby to for one it's illegal to not wrap up when you're when you're hitting somebody. For two, what we're taught and we're, how we're taught how to hit and how to tackle people isn't like trying to blow them over or trying to like crush them. We're taught to basically it's it's more like a a double leg from wrestling. We're taught to like get into them and, and turn them. And I think you know that's like we don't wear helmets, we don't really wear pads at all. But our, our rate of like concussions and our rate of like severe injury is lower within rugby, and um, I think that's because we do so many drills on not just hitting, but how to hit properly. And I think with those pads on and with the helmet on, you, you just get so you feel so invincible that you like dive headfirst into people, or your main mission is to like crush someone, and that's just not. I think if, if football could learn how to hit people opposed to just hitting people, I think that you'd see the number of head injuries and injuries in general just go way down. Sure, yeah, and maybe even like learning how to fall too. Like you <clears> probably <throat> fall different by having pads on versus not having pads on. So. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. You definitely learn how to tuck and roll. Yeah, interesting. I just wanted to hear that perspective there. So did you find CrossFit while you were still playing rugby? Like what got you into CrossFit? Specifically. Uh, about, the same, about the same time, I think I started playing rugby a little bit before I got into CrossFit, but generally around the same time. Um, <clears throat> and I got into CrossFit. I, I was doing this is right after I got kicked out of school, and I was working as a personal trainer at a gym. And my boss at the time was really getting into the CrossFit; like he really loved it. And he he kept being like, "Hey, Kevin, let's let's you want to try this CrossFit stuff? You want to try this CrossFit stuff?" But at the time, I was just powerlifting. I just wanted to waddle my fat ass into the gym. <laughs> like back squat bench press and deadlift and waddle my fat ass out and um finally he's like dude listen my 120 pound girlfriend is doing crossfit like you got to give it a shot he's like if she can do it you can do it at least once so we they ended up convincing me and and getting me a degree to do a crossfit workout and uh, i still remember it was 21 15 9 handstand push-ups and l pull-ups and at the time i think i weighed like 235 240 pounds so handstand pushups and L pull-ups was not not the easiest for you. <laughs> no, I remember the first time I tried to kick up into a handstand, I went through the wall, like literally put a, put a hole in the wall because I was so uncoordinated with it. Um, got my ass handed to me. Like they finished it in like six, seven minutes, and like here I am, twenty three minutes later, someone who can bench press over four hundred pounds, like using twenty pound dumbbells to finish finish my reps. Um, and I was like, that's stupid. I hate you. This is dumb. Like why would I ever want to do this? I'll see you guys tomorrow. We'll try it again. Right. Well, at least you had that mentality. Um, you know, and I came back to it because I was like, man, I really suck at this. Maybe I should give it another shot. I think that's something that's not always, you know, you're not born with is that ability to kind of like realize that you suck at something and instead of like avoiding it, like attacking it. And I'm sure that that's kind of gone into your your recovery as well. 
man, I am stubborn and I really don't like being bad at things. Like if I find something I'm bad at, I really, I really try hard to get better at it because I really, I just want to be good at everything. Right. And in CrossFit, that's kind of the name of the game. It's like, you don't have to be the best at anything, but you want to try to be good at everything. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Do you think that playing all those sports growing up made you a better CrossFitter? Yeah, I think it gave me a little bit better awareness of like where my body is in space and time, which allowed me to pick up some of the movements a little quicker than others. Um, you know, I started lifting with a barbell when I was 12 or 13 years old, and so I, I've always had a barbell in my hand. But I think um, the other sports I played made things like the gymnastic side of CrossFit or the the running or sprinting side of CrossFit made it made made it prepared me for that a little bit better. Okay. Um, so what does your training look like today? Like how how do you approach the gym now versus before the injury? Uh, now I'm actually, um, training to try to qualify for the Paralympics and weightlifting, which is just bench press. Um, so a typical week for me is a Monday and, um, Monday and Wednesday is when I do my, uh, bench training, uh, which is programmed actually Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which is programmed for me by Jesse Burdick. Um, who's a pretty big name in the uh, powerlifting community and a really nice dude. And then uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I just do CrossFit, whatever's on the whiteboard for the day or whatever we come up with. Just throw down in a CrossFit workout. And then uh, Saturday and Sunday, I generally rest. All right. Uh, what, what's your bench hovering around these days? Uh, How much you bench, bro? <laughs> Um, like touch and go, like just in, in the gym, I think right around like 430, 440, somewhere in there. And then, uh, competition, I'm somewhere between like, uh, like 395 to 405. I'm thinking, I mean, I, everyone, mostly everyone has bench pressed before in their life, but you actually do use your legs more than you would think by doing a bench yes. press. So mm-hmm. you'd probably be up in like 500s if you, if you had that, right? I'm gonna say yes because I want to think that, but I have I have no clue. I, I, yeah. Actually, if I if I had the use of my legs, I probably wouldn't be benching. Because you'd be doing CrossFit I'd, stuff. I'd yeah. still be doing CrossFit and snatch and like I love snatch clean and jerk, man. Like I just think it is the prettiest and 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 just really cool. Like I love the power lifts and they're fun to like see how much you squat and deadlift and bench, but like nothing looks as cool or feels as awesome as like a really good. A really well executed like snatch or clean and jerk. I I completely appreciate what you're saying. I I, I agree with that. Um, so by by being limited as to like what you can kind of switch up in your workouts, like it's not like you could do like upper one day, lower another another day to kind of like even it out. Um, how do you avoid like overtraining your upper body? Uh, for one, I, I've gotten really good at listening to my body. So if something's bugging me, I'm very good at backing off and, and like staying away from it. Um, but it's also changed my perspective as someone that programs workouts and coaches. So it's, it's not just like upper and lower body or biceps and triceps or, or chest and back or whatever. It, it's um, it's purpose of movement. So I, I look at the purpose of the movement and look at what like plane is driving through and, and utilize that to kind of keep everything happy, healthy, and, and moving to where I'm not overusing anything. Because just because I'm pressing – um, doesn't, doesn't mean I'm pressing in the same plane or even with the same purpose or even utilizing the same energy system or, or overtaxing a certain musculature. So I use like, like vertical pressing, horizontal pressing, overhead pressing, um, you know, uh, pushups, stuff like that. They're, they're different and they're different in their purpose. They're different in the, and what they're u- really utilizing, but they have carryover. So as long as you listen to your body and kind of think about the purpose of what you're doing, I think you find that you you can avoid overuse injuries pretty well okay that's interesting yeah I, I didn't even think of that like the different planes like you got overhead bench press even like dips is like a different plane so yep. yeah it's, that's cool so when did you get onto the crossfit level one seminar staff and so for the listeners out there the seminar staff is like the people who from crossfit headquarters who teach you know new people to crossfit to get them their coaching certification so you know what were the challenges in in uh, becoming or getting onto the seminar staff? Um, big challenge, man. The internship process for that is, is it's brutal. It is just so hard to get on it. And for me, not being able to demo things and not being able to use my own movement to show people how to move, I had to become really proficient and, and get really good at like verbal cueing or tactile cueing and, and just learning how to coach from a chair was very hard. And I was, I was kind of getting back into it at the time that, my internship started and 
you know, um, to be on the level one staff, like it can't just be like, well, he's good for a guy in a wheelchair. I had to be good. I had to be, I had to be a good coach regardless of my situation. And, and they really held me to that. And I really appreciate them for that. Cause you know, even if I hadn't got on staff, it made me a better coach to go through that process and learn about myself as a coach. Um, but it, it was, um, it was rough, man. You had to be able to take some really rough criticism. Like it, it is, it is, they don't, uh, they don't stroke they, the ego. <laughs> no, man, they, they, they break you down. They break you down to make you a good, like they, cause you have to be, you have to be a good coach to be on staff. And so they break you down hard. And if you have an ego about yourself and if you think you're just the shit and no one can teach you anything, you're going to have a hard time with the level one internship process and you're probably not going to make it. So what was like the best learning, I guess, lesson you got from, from that process? Um, You know, I think, I think, I think the best advice I got as a coach, probably two parts. One, um, was just like, they're like, Hey, like be you, like, don't try to be some other coach, like coach how you would coach and be you about it. But also they got me thinking about things like, uh, one of the, I think one of the best pieces of advice I got was like, Hey, think of the movements, think of how you would correct them. Think about what body parts you want to move where in those movements and sit there and write it down, like write it out. Like if someone has this fault in movement, write down everything you can think of to say, even if you think it's a horrible cue, write it down. And so you have all these different cues in your pocket. So when you get into the situation, we are coaching a big group. It's not like you trying to think of what to say next. You already know it's already in your pocket. And so that allows me to have like, just just like cue after cue that I can fire out there to try to correct these movements in a short, concise manner. Right. I think, I think that helped me more than anything else. Cool. Um, I know like you got hurt kind of in the gym atmosphere, but you were able to get back into the gym. Do you like, do you have advice for people who might not be able to keep that constant? Uh, you talked about that in one of your previous interviews. I'm just thinking like a football player who gets hurt and they can't play football anymore. You know, they don't have that, ability to keep that one thing that they enjoyed constant. Mm -hmm. Do you have advice for athletes who might not be, who might be in that situation? Yeah. Uh, best advice I can give is just find something. There, there's so many adaptive sports and training methodologies and people out there that are willing to help, um, uh, like injured athletes or injured individuals themselves to get back into something that's physically challenging that, that you're, you, your options are limitless. You may not be able to play football, but you could look at like wheelchair basketball or wheelchair rugby or, 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 or any of these things. Um, like there's so many of them that you could get into that just, just find one. Like it may not be the exact same thing, but find something that you're passionate about in the physical realm and just tackle it. Cool. Um, do you still have bad days? Like days that you just kind of feeling bad for yourself? Um, I, I do, you know, everyone's going to, and I still have days where I'm like, man, like getting out of bed today just hurt. Like it didn't feel good. I don't want to go do this. I'm so busy today that I just don't really feel like doing anything. I just want to shut down. And then, you know, um, sometimes I allow myself to have those days, you know, sometimes I'm just like, guys, I'm out for today. I'm going to go lay around at my, lay around at my house and just relax. Like I still get out, like I still go out and I'll get a cup of coffee or I'll go read a book, but I allow my, allow myself to have days where I, like kind of reset myself and, and that's perfectly healthy and perfectly okay to have those days. As long as I, my rule is I don't let, I don't let it affect the next day or I only let it affect a certain period of time, like a few hours or a full day, um, depending on how I'm feeling before I just like move on, like get over it. Right. And I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have friends around me that, that, that know that about me and, and that allow me to have it, but also don't allow me to like, dwell on it cool i think that's good advice um i got one last question it's a bit of a loaded question so i, I i'm interested to hear what your answer is i, I asked this so a question to a lot of my guests um and that's what is your definition of toughness and i know in some of your previous interviews you you talked about how it's hard for you to ask for help sometimes um yeah. and do you do you ever do you ever feel like less of a man since your injury by asking for help and I'm curious, like, if that definition of toughness has kind of, like, changed over time. You know, I think my definition of toughness is uh, taking a situation that you have no control over and, and just letting it 
letting it be not not so i have no control over some situations about asking for help i hate asking for help i hate feeling like a burden it, it really really bugs me but i know at certain points being that i am in a wheelchair that i have to have help and i have to let people help me and i think for me toughness for me in this situation is is understanding that help is okay and that even though i hate it i don't let it affect me negatively so like if if there's a situation you just can't control and it has to be something that you, that bugs you or you, or you hate, I think being tough enough to understand that like you have to let that go is, is my real definition of, of toughness, like letting things go. Cool. I like, like it. Yeah. I always, I always ask that question because I feel like a lot, the severity of my injury was largely due to what my definition of toughness was at the time. And that yeah. was like lifting the heaviest weight, scoring touchdowns, playing injured. Like that to me was what was tough. So I'm trying to redefine what toughness is by asking my guests uh, what their definition is. Um, yeah. So, Kev, just to wrap things up, where can people find you? Like what's on the horizon for Kevin Ogar? Um, to wrap things up, uh, I'm always pretty much at my gym or traveling for level ones, uh, CrossFit Watchtower. We're in uh, Inglewood, Colorado. If anyone wants to come by and see or, or, or train or anything like that, come on by. Um, I have a, a CrossFit is putting out a documentary on me. Um, it releases September 1st um, on iTunes. It's pre on pre-order right now, and it's a whole document. They followed me around for like two or three years recording my recovery and recording my story. And so it's a pretty – I got to see it last week, and it's actually uh, really well done. Um, so that's, that's it, man. I'm either, I'm either here or, uh, working on the Revly project or the gym or I'm traveling for level ones. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, try to coincide that, uh, or that, that movie about you, uh, with when this episode posts. So I'm excited about that. I got some insider information that that was happening. Uh, Kariana Anthes, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know her, but she's like the yeah. owner of yeah. our gym in town. So, uh, I think that would be a cool way to, to post it out. So, Kev, thanks a lot for coming awesome. on the show and taking the time out of your day to share your story. And I hope I asked you some different questions that you haven't been asked before. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on, man. I really enjoyed it.